0: In the past few years, we've heard politicians and leaders talk a lot about reshoring critical supply chains. But even before the pandemic made this a topic that everyone's discussing, politicians in North America were trying to figure out a way to create a rare earth supply chain here. These are a group of elements that are critical to modern technology, and it's also an area that China has dominated for a long time. Because the effort to create a North American rare earth supply chain started so long ago, it's an interesting case study. Right here in Canada, we have one rare earth mine called Nechelacho in the Northwest Territories. It's owned by Vital Metals, an Australian company, which also has a processing facility in Saskatchewan. And these are pretty small operations by modern mining standards. The mine itself is also really remote. And so I spoke to David Connolly, the Vice President of Corporate Affairs at Vital Metals, about these operations, the company's plans for growth, and where their product ends up. It's part of a series of mining podcasts we're releasing this week that look at critical issues for this sector. As always, the interview is edited for clarity and brevity. Hey, David, thank you for coming on Down to Business today. It's great to chat again, Gabe. You work for a company that developed one of the only rare earth mines in North America, and it's in the Northwest Territory. Can you just like give me a little sort of primer on your mind?
1: Well, you're right. It is the only rare earth mine in Canada and the only rare earth mine in North America that doesn't uh, supply China. There's only two in North America. It's about 110 kilometers southeast of Yellowknife. You access it by air or ice road or in the summertime barge from Hay River and then rail to our metallurgical processing plant in Saskatoon. We, uh, Currently run it at a small capacity demonstration stage to prove out all of our systems and our approaches, but more importantly, to our uh, five Indigenous groups that have claims that overlap the mine, that we will in fact respect uh, land and culture and meet our Indigenous employment and procurement uh, targets. And we we'll certainly look to scale up significantly in the 2027 period.
0: And what does Nechalacho mean in Dene?
1: Sheltered place on the big north shore. It's in a place called the Hearn Channel. And you think of the Hearn Channel as a long rift valley. And if you were in a canoe going down that channel and there were winds, there's just, you know, if you have rift valley walls and some of them are vertical, there's not a lot of place for shelter. And at Nachilacho, there's a modicum of a bay and certainly a beach where you can pull in.
0: That's actually kind of interesting that you're starting at like a smaller scale just to prove it up. H- how did that? Come
1: up? Well, I think there's always either a desire from the communities or communities have a history of large minds coming in seeking permits and with the proponents promising, look, and, and probably with good intent, you know, we're going to do it well, we're going to respect the land, we're going to respect your engagement and involvement, participation. But those are all promises and you have to wait until a very large mine is in operation and some mines have done very well and delivered significant Indigenous benefits. Our approach was a bit different and also since we're dealing with new metals and metals that haven't been mined and concentrated and further processed in Canada before we wanted to start at a slightly smaller well a significantly smaller scale and this has been giving us a chance not only to demonstrate to the community our ESG credentials, but also introduce some new technologies like sensor-based ore sorting, which in, the, in our North Tea Pit eliminates the use of water and chemicals and doesn't produce tailings and uses about 90% less space and carbon. So it's given us a chance to test those out. And then as we move to Saskatchewan, you know this technology does exist in the metallurgical processing of rarer in Australia, but not with our ore and not in our environment. So, again, we started at a commercial scale, but a relatively small scale, which we look forward to significantly scaling up as we move to the latter part of this decade.
0: Can I just ask you to step back to what does that mean? It's commercial, but small scale. Like, how many people? How big is the pit?
1: Sure. Um, think of the mine as a few hockey rinks, and that would include the mine and the dewatering area and the uh, crushing and processing area and the area where the sensor based ore sorter uh, operates. I think maximum employees we've had is 58, but we you know, we tend to be about 30 to 40 uh, in the Northwest Territories. And we're growing towards a workforce in the low 50s in Saskatchewan as we move from design building that was originally designed and scaled to a thousand tons of cerium reduced rare earth carbonate to 2,000 tons of cerium-reduced rare earth carbonate per year. So again, commercial, but certainly leaves room for us to scale a number of fold as we grow the mine.
0: You mentioned that this is fly-in only. How are you able to mine a bulk material in such a remote setting?
1: We fly the people in and the perishables, other products and the concentrates, we move primarily by barge, and a backup is uh, ice road. Right. So with with barges, that that 1,000 to 1,500 tons, you can move a significant amount of uh, material. And that's doing some interesting things for a town called Hay River. That's where barging that goes down the Mackenzie into all, the or many of the communities in the high Arctic, and rail and, and road all come together. So you have marine, air, rail, and road, all coming together within a kilometer of each other in in Hay River. And over time, the the amount of product moving through Hay River and the port of Hay River has been decreasing. But with the evolution of Nachalacho, the amount of freight and particularly southbound freight going through the port and then multimodal either on a rail or truck is increasing significantly, but more importantly, will increase another 25 fold or so as we shift from the North T to the, the TARDIF Pit, just to give a bit of scale. The North T, which is our demonstration, is about a million ton pit. The TARDIF pit, which is still being drilled out, is currently around at 94 million tons. So you can see that there's the opportunity to become a global multi-generator producer of rarest to our friends and allies.
0: Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. It does strike me as an interesting counterpoint to the idea that the only mines you can build today have to have massive scale to justify huge capital costs and infrastructure needs and things like that.
1: One of the reasons we started small and wanted to de-risk it is that we're very hopeful we're going to bring our indigenous partners as equity holders in an ideal world. We would move past uh, IBAs, which uh, impact benefit agreements and Indigenous participation agreements. We hope to move to a situation where the project is de-risked enough that the Indigenous groups are comfortable buying in at an independently appraised value, having equity ownership and participating in the governance of the project. The other area where we think there's significant opportunity for Indigenous groups to participate beyond the normal employment training and you know, supplying, rotary ring, fixed ring, trucking, explosives and so on, which is quite common in the Northwest Territories, we are very competent and capable Indigenous suppliers. But we're hoping and working with our groups to provide some of the infrastructure. So for example, if you're in the critical mineral business these days, you must have green power, and that means getting rid of diesel-generated power. So, so we're working with a number of Indigenous groups, the federal and territorial government, and we're hopeful that they will be able to provide a green power solution. So they'll be the independent Indigenous green power supplier, and we will be provide a power purchase agreement of some of that green power, and hopefully some of the rest of that green power can go to communities and other projects in the territories taking them off diesel. Uh, Another uh, model we're looking at is we're going to have to scale up our marine barging or our, and we are currently looking at a model where that Titan barging service would be indigenously owned to be able to obtain its financing and and generate its business case based upon a long term contract with us. So it's actually because we're small and because we've been able to or are de-risking and demonstrating that they're risking, that now there's these opportunities coming along for Indigenous groups, A, to potentially take part in being the long-term infrastructure providers, not only to us, but hopefully they take those services and provide them to other groups. And then also an opportunity for those Indigenous groups to own equity, and by owning equity, if you want enough of it, you get a seat on the board, and now you participate in the governance of the project.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds quite positive, and it's going to be really interesting to watch. Can we talk about your current supply chain? You mine the rare earths in the Northwest Territories, and then the rare earths, they go to Saskatchewan after your mine, um, where there's a processing facility. Can you tell me a little bit about sort of where the final products end up?
1: Oh, absolutely. And rare earths going to thousands of products. If it produces light or energy, it is often has rare earths in it. 80% of the value chain is very powerful magnets and 80% of that value chain is electric vehicles. But again, your cell phone and your LED lights and your screens and fiber optics all can't work without rare earths. So we do two things in the Northwest Territories. So we extracted the ore from the ground. That's the first stage, and and then the second. in the Northwest Territories, we also create a concentrate, and that's where we currently use the sensor-based or sorter. So the product that leaves the Northwest Territories is a mixed rare-earth concentrate, and rares usually come in a group of 17, and they're quite difficult to separate. After the product has gone through those first two stages in the Northwest Territories, the product goes to Saskatoon, and what happens there is all the impurities other than the rare earth are removed. And in fact, we remove a lot of a low-value rare earth as well. Cerium reduced. And that leaves us with a cerium reduced mixed rare earth carbonate. That carbonate is then sold via offtake agreement. And in this case, our major offtake agreement is with RETEC of Norway. RETEC uses its technology to separate the mixed rare earths into individual rare earth oxides. There's an off-take agreement between REtech and Schaeffler of Germany to sell those oxides to Schaeffler who use them to produce the drivetrains for electric vehicles.
0: Wow. One of the things you hear a lot about today is reshoring. And I'm curious if the fact that you have this North American supply chain if you've been able to identify investors who are more interested in you because of that?
1: I think generically, so I'd rather not answer that specifically from a vital point of view, but as someone who's been in the critical minerals world for a while, and we very much appreciate the think tanks and the governments and the various policy agencies that promote the reasons why critical minerals are very important. They're essential for decarbonization. They're essential for changing our economies from being internal combustion engine based to electric vehicle based. And frankly, they're necessary for our national security goals as well. Most policy people assume that customers are prepared to pay a premium for rare earths that have a high ESG. So who consumes most rare earths by value? It's people who make electric vehicles, whether those are bikes or trucks or trains or cars. And those companies are extremely price conscious. It's not clear to me that there's empirical evidence that they're prepared to pay a significantly higher price to get rarers that have a much higher ESG than the ones that are being processed in China. Government truly wants this to happen. It may require government to consider policy steps that make it more difficult to supply low ESG materials into our supply chain.
0: That was David Connolly, the VP of Corporate Affairs for Vital Metals. I hope you find this stuff as interesting as I do. That's our show this week. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Bryce Hall, who composed and performed the original music you heard, designed Down to Business's logo, and executive produced this episode. Thanks to Pamela Heaven, Noella Ovid, and Victoria Wells for web support and editing. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll return with another episode. But until then, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com.